Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. If you can turn your Bibles to uh, 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, we're going to finish up chapter 2 today. We'll start in verse 18, 1 John chapter 2, and we'll look at verses 18 to 29, and uh, God has John give us another contrast here as he's been using those. It's a, a teaching method of his comparing uh, kind of opposite things. And this week uh, he compares the truth of Christ with uh, a lie of the Antichrist. Uh, and God gives us this warning uh, in this passage about false teaching that was prevalent in that church. It's still prevalent today. It's something that Satan likes to use uh, to distract us from our purpose. It's got the potential for uh, it to create confusion among Christians, but also to become an obstacle to the faith of uh, people who don't know Christ yet, that they haven't come to Christ yet. This is the final kind of section of an introduction part of this letter. I don't know who's a, who's a reader here. Do you like, like, you enjoy reading books? Okay, you got about the same amount as last time. I don't. Do you do you uh, ever read the introduction or the preface, or do you just jump to chapter one? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, when I was had to read them, like for school, college, or whatever, I, I typically did not read that because I wanted to get away with as little as possible. But now, if I if it's a book I want to read, I always want to read the preface, the introduction. It kind of sets the stage, helps me understand uh, the perspective or the context that the writer is writing from. And that's really what chapter one and chapter two are. They're very foundational truths about our position in Jesus Christ before he gets to the main body of the letter, beginning in chapter three, that has practical truths. But there's no hope of us living in that practical truth if we don't understand this foundational principle of our being in Christ, and that's what he presents to us here. So let's read John, uh, 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, and he says, Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come even now, are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son... The same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, 
and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him. That when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we look into your word. We thank you for it this morning. We thank you that you're giving us a warning here that is a gift of your grace. It helps us identify false teaching. It helps us avoid it. It helps us battle against it. And then we've got some incredibly wonderful and inspiring truth about who we are in Christ, about our position. We get to talk this morning about the Holy Spirit and his presence in our life and how he's come and how we are sealed and how he empowers us. And so I pray that all of these truths that you've laid out here in these 10, 11 verses, Lord, I pray that um, they, would, they wouldn't just be understood by us, Lord, uh, but that so much more, that you would use them and your Holy Spirit would use them to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ, to go out into this world and live for you, to, to reflect your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, in verses 18 and 19, the very first thing that God has John present to us is the peril of apostasy. Uh, just mean, apostasy just meaning false teaching, a heresy, specifically uh, one that is opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this was a threat for that church, the church that John is writing to. We don't, he didn't name it. Uh, we're guessing at this time from historical documents, John was a member of the church of Ephesus at that time. So he's probably writing to churches around there, but he's writing to you and I. God has this message for you and I as well. And he's saying false teaching is dangerous. He says little children. Now, if you remember from last week, he used that term twice. It was different in the Greek, even though it says children here. One was talking about newborn infants. Uh, and this particular one here, again, is now talking about kind of school-aged children, kids in training. The Greek word is paida. And he he says, little children, you, you young ones who've been born again and now you're in, in training. He says, be careful because it is the last time. Do you know it's the last time? Do you know that? It's the last time right now. Now, what is the last time? Well, it's, it's that time in history that began when Jesus first came down. That's when it began. And it ends when he's coming back. Right? And we're in there right now. Now, if it was the last time then for John in the first century A.D., um, is it the last time now? Yeah, even more so, because right? it's been 2,000 years, and, and, and we've, we've gotten closer to that culmination of the last time. And what he's going to give us here is a warning that the Antichrist will come. Hasn't happened yet. All right, but even now, there is Antichrists, and a couple of chapters later, he talks about that there's a spirit of Antichrist, because right now... Um, Jesus doesn't have uncontested reign here on earth. For God, in his wisdom, he's allowed Satan to uh, have influence in this world, and that is what's going on. There's even a spirit of Antichrist here. And John says in verse 18, you know that it's the last time because this is what's going on. So this is where we live. We're living in the last time, and so it's, it's relevant to them. It's also very relevant to you and I. God's warning us here that opposition to Christ is going to increase the closer we get to that culmination of the last time. He warns us this about this because the danger is present that um, false teaching will arise, which will keep people from coming to Christ if they haven't been saved yet, but it also can cause confusion in the church, and he's going to describe that a little more in the next verse. It's dangerous. It's perilous for believers. Um, it can distract us from our purpose. This confusion, false teaching can cause. Uh, it can limit the power of the gospel in our verbal witness and in our life witness. It's perilous for unbelievers. 
false teaching could keep them from ever knowing the truth of the gospel that he's presented here in two chapters. All right, and so now he's going to go into verse 19, and what he's going to present to us here, it's a, it's a long verse that you could get confused if you, don't, um, if you don't understand what he's talking about and read it through. Uh, so we'll read it through again. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. What God has John present here is this. There exists the reality that on any given Sunday, not just here at Dublin, churches all across this nation, this world, that there are people in attendance in the visible church, like you know everybody who's here, we don't count, but we know who's here. There are people there that are members of the visible church, but they're not members of the true church. And what he's going to talk about is being born again. That's when, how you get into the true church. All right, when you've been born again, regeneration, he's going to highlight that doctrine more prominently than he has in the last uh, couple of chapters. Uh, he does that this week right here. Um, and if false teaching is present in the church, which that was the struggle they were facing, there's this horrible possibility that uh, someone who isn't saved wouldn't ever hear the gospel and come to Christ. And then it can cause some confusion. And this is why he's, uh, even for believers, that's why he's presenting this truth to us. Now, you might have heard this before, um, that, look, being in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. It doesn't. All right? Um, it's, you have to be born again. I, there are people, and throughout my uh, time in ministry over the last 20 years, and I, you know, I'd ask them, you know, uh, when did you get saved? And they're like, well, I've always been a member of this church. And I'm like, that's not what I asked you. <laughs> All right, my grandparents founded this church. That's not what I asked you. Have you trusted Christ as Savior? That's, that's salvation. All right, and so uh, there is this possibility. Now, in verse 19, who are the they, who are the us? And there's some disagreement. One commentator said he thought the us was the apostles where like they went out from us. So there were some apostles who left. There's no record of that. There's no record of people leaving the truth of the gospel who are apostles. So who is the they and who's the us? Well, the they is the visible church, which includes the us. But uh, the us is those who remained, who didn't depart. All right. Uh, there is a desertion there. Somebody left. This is they went out from us. Now, that desertion may be physical, like they actually left the church. They haven't come back. That desertion, it may be mental or moral, like they could have left the truth of the gospel, but they're still here. That's even more dangerous. Um, because they can affect people in the church still. Uh, it might be an intellectual leaving. I'm not sure. But in any, either case, uh, it's dangerous for the church. It's dangerous for those who are unbelievers yet who might be in the church and have the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel. Dr. Uh, Jerry Vines, he's a famous pastor here in our convention for decades. He was a pastor at First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. And he talked about after an Easter service, one Easter, um, about a day or two later, Monday or Tuesday, he walked out into the town. He went into this building, and this lady said, oh, you're the pastor of the church I went to uh, on Sunday. And he said, oh, did you like it? She said, yeah. She said, I, I did. But I just wish that some of your regular attenders wouldn't have come so more of us could come who only come at Christmas and Easter. It doesn't make much sense, does it? But that's the kind of confusion that is out there. Like, well, I go there. I'm a member. I might not have been there for four years, but I'm still a member. Um, and, and so there's this level of confusion, and God wants John to explain this to us, what this means. Now, uh, we've got to be very careful about verse 19 and not take it out of context. Um, in subsequent verses, John's going to define very clearly what these people 
were saying and why they left, and it's no doubt that they're not born again. Uh, he talks in verse 22 and 23 about their message. They, don't, they said Jesus Christ isn't the Messiah. He's not God's son. He wasn't the Savior. That's, that's not a born-again person. All right, so um, that is what he says it is. What he's not saying, all right, what he's not saying is that if someone who says they've been saved for years and they've been a part of your church for years and then they leave, Maybe they go to another church. He's not saying they're not born again. All right, so let's not make this apply to areas it doesn't apply to. Um, he's not saying that uh, someone who professes Christ and comes to church, but then all of a sudden they don't because they're struggling with sin and there's things competing for their affections and they've fallen away for a little while or they're backsliding. He's not saying they're not born again. No, the departure from the gospel that John's referring to here is uh, people who deny that Jesus Christ is the exclusive Savior. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah sent to save them from their sin. All right, And so he's going to really highlight this doctrine of regeneration or born again. That's, this is where we get this term from. We use, are you a born again Christian? You know, have you been born again? This is one of the passages that uh, supports that, that our modern day use of that term. And the doctrine is that of regeneration. Um, Here's the thing, whether it's someone who's never been born again, they never trusted Christ, and maybe they came to church and now they've left, or whether it's someone who has, and for whatever reason, they're not with us anymore. Uh, in either of those cases, what should our response be? Because it can be heartbreaking. It can. So what should our response be? In either case, if these people are still alive, can they still come to repentance? Sure they can. Amen. That should be our, our desire. We, our earnest prayer, our earnest endeavor should be that they do repent. Um, and I think that's why God wants to explain this to us. Because sometimes it happens here. I'm not thinking of anybody here at Dublin. I'm just saying here. It happens in our churches. Dear ones. Loved ones. People we care deeply about. People that were raised right. They no longer with us. They went out from us. And so God gives us this explanation, and it's still painful, but at least it's explained. It might be that they're not born again. It might be that there's, um, there's competing affections and they're falling away, but what should our response be? Well, I think we should respond like Jesus did. Have you ever heard of a guy named Peter? Dr. White talked about him. Uh, one time Jesus said, uh, Peter, who do these people say I am? They said, Elijah, some say John the Baptist. And he says, but who do you say I am, Peter? He says, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You, you've come to save us from our sins. And Jesus said, they're all leaving me. Are you all going to leave too? And Peter says, we can't. Where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And six chapters later, six chapters later, he denies him. Denies him. And um, he falls. Born again, trusted Christ as Savior, uh, but he falls. Falls away from truth. Uh, said, I'll die for you, Jesus. And the very next day, denies him three times. Denies him three times. Now, we know the whole story. Peter repented. Peter was restored. And with the other apostles, God used him in the power of the Holy Spirit. On, on Pentecost, he preached a message and 3,000 people came to know the Lord. So God can take someone who has that kind of experience and turn their life around. You know, Jesus prayed for him. He said, Peter, Satan demands he wants to have you. He wants to sift you like wheat. And I'm praying that your faith doesn't fail. It did. It failed. It failed that night. You know, and then Jesus says, but when you're restored, when you, when, when you turn again, not if, when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. And he did that. He did that. 
And God used him mightily. Look, if you know anyone like this, don't sit in judgment over them. That's not your position. You don't have that right, that capacity. Instead, you should be praying for them like Jesus did. You should be like Paul with the, he had troublemakers in, in Timothy's church, Hymenaeus and Alexander. They were teaching false truth. And Paul says, pray for them. Uh, yes, we've exercised church discipline. They were actually excommunicated. But then, then again, it's not for punishment. It's not for retribution. It was so that they would be restored. And he says, pray for them. Pray for them, that God may grant them repentance. It's not our position to, to condemn someone. What verse 19 is telling us is this key thing. When people depart, it doesn't mean the gospel's not true. When people depart, it doesn't mean that the good news is ineffective. It means they've never truly been born again, or there's competing affections that are distracting them. So what's the point? Well, don't let it happen to you. Be careful. Don't let it happen to you. And don't let apostasy, don't let their falling away, even if it's temporary, don't let that cause your faith to quake. John Stott, a theologian and pastor, said this, He who stands firm in the faith to the end will be saved. Not, not because salvation is a reward for your endurance, but because endurance is just simply a hallmark of the saved. This is what born-again people do. They stay. They walk with the Lord. They might leave, but they stay. They come back to him. And this is what he's talking about in the proof of anointing. Right now, verses 20 to 27. Why you? You haven't left. Why haven't you left? You're born again. This is what he's saying in verse 20. But ye, this is not, now we're moving on to you who have stayed. But you, you have an unction. Did you know that? If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've been born again, you have an unction. Nobody's too excited about that because we don't know what unction means. I asked Krista uh, this week when we were in the car. I said, do you know what an unction is? And she said, vim and vigor. I said, I think that's gumption, right? But <laughs> Close. They're weird words. We don't use them, right? Uh, but unction is, is literally, it's translated later in verse 27 as anointing. It's actually the same Greek word, charisma, and it, and it means this. It, the, see, the focus on verse 20, uh, verse 20 is this. It's not so much on the Holy Spirit, who is the anointer. It's not even so much on the process. It's about what has happened. And in verse 20, it says, but you, you're different. The reason you haven't gone is you've been oiled. That's literally what it means. You've been smeared. In the Greek, if the closest to English just doesn't, King James didn't say smear. All right? So you've been smeared. That's why you're different. But you, you have an unction with the Holy One, and you know all things. You know all things. You have this unction. You've been set apart. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his Son. Now you're thinking, when? Who oiled me? I don't remember. No, it happened when you turned to Christ. This is what happened. You were regenerated. You were brought from death to life. You were born again. It's when you realized, it says you came to know all things. When you realized the truth of what Christ has done for you, and you said, I'm done with sin. I'm done with trying to earn God's favor by my meager and pitiful attempts at doing right. I'm done with all that. No, I'm trusting completely on what Jesus Christ has done for me on my behalf. That's when he oiled you. And that's why you're different. That's why you're here. That's why you're going to stay here. Separated to Christ. United to Christ. United to us. That's why it's an us. We're together. It's an us. And you know what's beautiful about that? It's unbreakable. It's unbreakable. It's irreversible. It doesn't change. It's eternal. It's an eternal anointing. You know why? You didn't do it. He did it. 
He did it for you when you trusted Christ. You were set apart. You were oiled. You didn't oil yourself. That's why you probably don't remember it. God did it. The Holy Spirit did it. I love that he says here, and you know all things. See, this was a key doctrine that they were fighting against. It was a Gnostic heresy that said, no, in order to really, yeah, being a Christian is fine and good, but what, if you really want to get close to God, you need this special knowledge, this mysterious experience. Usually it came through their encouragement to participate in horrendous sin that I can't even talk about here. All right, but that and it doesn't make sense, right? That's what Satan does with false teaching. Right? And he says, this is what you need. And he says, no, you don't. You don't need that. You know all things. You have Christ. When he says you know all things, he's not saying you know all things. Um, like, I don't know. I don't know how to fix um, a bad valve, Richard. I don't. Right? <laughs> I don't know all things. Um, and, and for nurses, my, my medical knowledge is limited. I don't know all things. I don't know legal statutes, Scott. I don't know all things. Right? But he was saying, you have a discernment. You have a level. You can identify truth from error, so don't fall for this truth, this anointing. That's the all things that you know. You have this discernment. See, when the Holy Spirit illuminated the truth of the gospel to you and you responded to it, now he's going to continue that ministry. He's going to continue illuminating the truth and giving you that discernment. Do you remember what it was like before you were saved, before you came to Christ, put your, your trust in him? As far as what you thought about the Bible, you, you might have thought it was a good book. But, I mean, was it as powerful and life-changing as when you're in it right now? No, because you have the Holy Spirit with you to help you understand things. Uh, even your whole purpose in life. Do you remember what it was like before you were saved compared to now when you hear the truth of the gospel? This is what he means about knowing all things. And so our anointing is an enlightening thing. We walk in the light because he is in the light. That's what he told us in chapter 1. It's also enduring. We've talked about that a little bit already. It's unbreakable. It's, it's irreversible. It's an eternal anointing. And, and then we, we see here in verse 22 and 23, who is a liar, but he that denieth Jesus is the Christ, and denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. He that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. This was a struggle. This is what they were having a hard time with. This was the false doctrine, the heresy, the apostasy that was being presented. You can't get to the Father without the Son. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not one of the ways. I'm the way. Exclusive. All right? So they're a false doctrine. He's like, don't fall for this lie. Don't let them tell you, oh, you need this. You've got everything you need. You've got the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how you get to God. This is the same lie that happened in Genesis 3. Satan told Eve, you need this. This is how really, you're going to have knowledge. God doesn't want you to have that knowledge, so do this. You're going to have that knowledge. No, let the gospel abide. Because when we fall for that lie, it does the same thing uh, that happened in Genesis 3. All right? we, we, we are led away from God, we're led away from Christ, we're led away from the gospel, and then we're led away from our salvation. You see why John talks about it all the time? Two chapters, gospel, 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 Paul, all the time, gospel. I don't, I don't even know anything among you except Christ and him crucified. That's what Paul said. The gospel. That's what we need every day. It's supposed to abide in us. That's what he said in verse 24. Let that. What is that? Well, that's the message about Christ that John said back in uh, 1 John 1, uh, 1 through 5. He says, this is the message we heard from Christ. Let that abide in you. Not other knowledge. Let that abide in you which you've heard from the beginning. If, if that which you have heard from the beginning will remain in you, you also will continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise. This is what the gospel is all about, eternal life, eternal relationship. That is the promise of the gospel that we hold on to, our being oiled. It's an enduring promise. 
The Holy Spirit is an enduring thing. We go, we've gone back to the source, right? So John was right there, right next to Jesus when he was given the upper room discourse in the Gospel of John, chapters 13 to 16. We've gone back to it the last two weeks. This is what he said to them. I'm going to go away, and I'll send you another comforter, the anointing one, the one who anointed you, the Holy Spirit, who brought you from death to life. He regenerated you. I'm going to send you him. In, in John 14, 16, the Holy Spirit will abide with you forever. Forever. doesn't go away. Not the indwelling. Now, the filling can go away. But the moment you came to Christ, the moment you trusted him, the moment you were converted, the Holy Spirit came and indwelt you, and he will be there forever. Now, his filling, that's more dependent on you. And if you'll continue in the faith, the same way you came to him, by grace, through faith. We have such a treasure, don't we? The Old Testament saints didn't have this. They had filling of the Spirit. It'd fill, it'd go, it'd fill, it'd go. Never had an indwelling like you and I have here. That's why we can come and worship and we literally say, Jesus is present in this place because his Holy Spirit is present here. I pray he is in most of us. I pray he is in all of us. We literally have this inauguration of a new covenant that was spoken of in Jeremiah 31, uh, 31 to 34, when God said, I'm going to take your heart of stone, and I'm going to take it out, I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, and I'm going to write my law on your heart. Do you know when the Holy Spirit came to indwell Christians? Came at Pentecost. Do you ever wonder why that happened? Like, why at Pentecost? Well, the Feast of Pentecost was a feast that celebrated the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, when he gave the Ten Commandments. Right? That's what's celebrated. Every year they come, they would celebrate it. We have the law, we know what God wants, we have a relationship with God. Right? It was imperfect. And that's what he's talking about in Jeremiah 31, because we couldn't keep the law. And so God says, there's going to come a day, I'm going to send Jesus, and he's going to die for your sins, and by faith in him, I'm going to write the law on, the heart, on your hearts. I'm going to give you a heart that wants to keep the law, that loves to keep the law, that delights in obeying me. I'm going to give that to you. And he did that on the, on the feast where they were celebrating the giving of the law, Holy Spirit comes down, and just like Jeremiah 31 says, he wrote his eternal law on our hearts. That's the discernment you have when you go, shouldn't be doing this. That's the discernment you have when you're like, time to confess and forsake sin. I know I'm, I'm not doing the right thing here. He's written it on your hearts. This is what we have, Christ in us, our hope of glory, and that is forever. Isn't it amazing to you that God wants to be known by you so desperately and he wants relationship with you so dearly that he has his Holy Spirit come live in you and give you a desire for his word and then illuminate it for you so you understand it? This is what God wants from you. Relationship. He wants your love. He wants you to be passionate in love with him. In verse 28 and 29, we see the practice of abiding. John proclaimed this importance in the last verse, right? And he says, the proof of our abiding is this anointing that we have, and it's a protection against the peril of apostasy there. But he says this, this is the last time, little children, now technia, the Greek word technia, children, little born-again ones, infants, and now abide in him. That when he shall appear, see, he's coming back. It's the last time, and Christ is going to come back. Could happen before this is done. Be fine with me. All right, but he's coming back. And so if I will abide in him, I can have confidence. I can have a boldness. The Greek word there is parousia. It means a boldness to speak. You remember in Isaiah when um, he, in vision, just in vision, he was brought up to heaven, and he saw God. 
they saw angels that couldn't even look at God. Angels couldn't look at him. They had to cover their faces with some of their wings. And what did, what did Isaiah do? What could he help but do only to fall down on the uh, prostrate? Fall down and say, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I think most of us would probably do the same thing, but we don't have to. We don't have to, you know why? Because of Jesus Christ. This is why it tells us in, uh, in Hebrews 4.16, no, we can come boldly before the throne of grace because what Christ has done, we're going to face a judgment. When Christ returns, he's going to judge even us, even believers. And what merit are you going to be judged on? What are you going to say when you stand before the throne? Are you going to say, I did my best. <laughs> hope, hope the good outweighs the bad. Don't say that. It don't. It don't outweigh the bad. There's one thing, one, but one thing we could say. We sing in an old song, my faith has found a resting place. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Him. Him's why I should have eternity with you. Him is why I should be forgiven because of what Christ has done for me. That's what I'm to go before the throne with. I'll be able to say, of course I'm yours, Father. Of Father. John's been using that term all the time. I'm, we're going to get into it next week. Sons of God, daughters of God, that's crazy. But Father, of course I'm yours. I've been anointed, you remember? You remember when you oiled me? Do you remember when you smeared me? When I, I was presented with the truth of Jesus and I was drawn to trust him as my Savior? The gospel, that gospel abiding in you and you abiding in it gives you this kind of boldness. Do you think we need boldness in this last time? We need boldness. We got, church, we got churches full of Christians that are not bold. Wondering, am I saved? Am I not? I don't know. This is why John's writing us here. I want you to know that you know him. And you can. You can know. Powerless Christians, full of wonder, full of wonder about whether or not they're truly believers. That's not God's design. No, he wants us to be bold, a bold speech, a bold way of speaking. And abiding in him, abiding in that gospel is how we get that boldness. Now, it's also going to modify our behavior. You remember everything we've learned so far? God is light. So those who have a relationship with him walk in light. God is love. So those who have a relationship with him walk in love. And he's just summarizing it here by saying this. Abiding provides a boldness. Not to just know that you're in Christ, but to actually do what Christ does. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him or has been born of him. Now, that born of him, the present, it's a perfect tense in the Greek. I mean, it's done. It's a done deal. You have been born. You have been oiled. That's a done deal. Can't change. The doeth righteousness, that's a present progressive. That means those who continue to do righteousness prove that they've been born of him. They prove it. It's not the reason for being born again. You understand this? He's not saying if you do righteousness, you will be born again. He's not saying that. He's not saying if you do righteousness, you will be saved. He's saying you do that because you've been born again. You do it because you have been saved. Little born again ones do this because they are in him and he is in them. There's a very big difference here. There's one little subtle contrast, right, in verse 29 before we close. This is what religion says. It's important we understand the difference. Religion says, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best. And then maybe, maybe God will accept me. That's what religion says. It's not what the Bible says. It's not. The gospel, relationship says, by faith I'm accepted by him. <laughs> I can't wrap my mind around it. How could he love me? 
But by faith, I'm accepted by him. And so now I'm free. I'm free to obey. I'm free to do his will with joy. I'm free from the power sin used to have over me. I'm free of it. That's a big difference. I'm accepted and therefore I will obey. A big difference. And what you believe is going to determine whether you've been delivered from the penalty of sin. It's also going to determine if you've been delivered from the power of sin. Anyway, which one of those will you believe? God pleased with us this morning to be aware and fight against this peril of apostasy. He pleads with us to know truth. All right, he uh, doesn't want us to live in confusion. And that can happen when people turn away, people we love, people, we, man, we thought they, they were trusting Christ. And he's saying, no, look, stay and abide in him. God pleads with us this morning to know, to know and abide in this proof of our anointing. That's why he's described it. Look, the Holy Spirit has sealed you. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit came. He, he, when he came to indwell you, he sealed you, and that's a forever thing. You're kept forever. Now, sometimes we don't understand it, and we may not feel kept. And I think it's because we're not fighting to be kept. Now, that might be hard to understand, but honestly, if you're fighting to be kept, that's pretty good evidence of his keeping of you. You can't do it otherwise. This is what I mean. You're being kept, your, your eternal life, it's eternal. I don't know why we struggle with that so much. It, your eternal life, that's an objective truth. Nothing can change it. You trusted in Christ as Savior. He won it for you. Now, your enjoyment of that, that's pretty subjective. Pretty subjective. It's totally contingent, totally dependent if you're going to continue in doing what he's asked you to do, to enjoy that faith, to uh, even when there's days and seasons in my life, I don't feel like I'm anointed. I don't feel like I'm oiled. What am I going to depend on, my feelings or this reality that he's provided me? This is the whole Christian life in a nutshell. I need to make true, I, I need to make true of myself practically what is true of me positionally. That's what Paul's writing about. That's what John's writing about. That's what Peter wrote, wrote about. Your life, Christian life is that. If you've been saved, it's, it's this lifelong quest, this lifelong road, this path. And sometimes it gets bumpy. And I've talked about that with people. Look, sanctification, this is what he's going to talk about next week. He's talking about regeneration now. But look, sanctification, it's a, we want a freeway. We want like a three-lane, and it's not. It's like that road out by me. It's like a white oak gravel logging road. It's bumpy, and you're probably going to have to turn around a time or two, and, but you're going to just stay on it. Abide in him. Abide in him. Is God asking you this morning to commit to, to abiding in him, fighting against sin, devoting yourself to hearing from him and talking to him like never before? There might be one here today that says, look, I've never been of us. I've never been in us. How do I do that? We're going to have a song of invitation here. I'd ask you if you got any questions. I would love to show you this morning how you can know that you know and live in that joy. But maybe you're, maybe you're burdened by someone like we talked about at the beginning. And I don't know. You don't know. It's not for you to know whether they're of us or they're not of us. What is for you to know is that you ought to be praying for them. And so maybe God's laid someone on your heart. And you're like, Lord, grant them repentance. Please, God, grant them repentance. However, God is calling on you to respond today. As we sing, I surrender all, I just ask that you'd obey him.